You'd open your Bibles to the sixth chapter of John, John's Gospel, chapter six. And I know some of you are going to think he's lost it. Uh, we're going to look at 49 verses this morning. So uh, we'll finish John chapter six before we move on to chapter seven. And the reason being that the remainder of this chapter is really Jesus speaking to a central issue. And that central issue is the bread of life. We're going to find the first of his I am statements uh, here located in these verses. And as we do so, if you had an opportunity to join us on Thursday night for Josh McDowell, we had an amazing time, amen, for those who were here. Uh, It was just a great, great, great time. And he actually covered one of the central points that we'll be making this morning in that Jesus, as he speaks to this group of people, which includes religious leadership, their scribes and Pharisees, is actually going to be taken into the synagogue uh, in Capernaum. So no doubt there were other rabbis there. Remember, Jesus himself was called a rabbi, a teacher. We're, We're going to see that Jesus says something that is going to absolutely twist their minds because he is going to declare that he is, in fact, the I am. The I am that was the, the God who met with Moses. The I am that Moses was then instructed to say to Pharaoh, look, if someone asks, tell them I am sent you. If the children of Israel ask, tell them I am has sent you. And so from that, in the Hebrew language, a tetragrammaton, a four-letter name for God, that is in essence a way for the Jewish people to understand that any time someone would say what we would have transliterated into English, from Hebrew to English, they would not say God's name, they would say I am. And so they changed it into this four-letter name, Y-H-W-H. And so God himself is going to speak through this passage to these people who are wondering, what was this incredible feeding of the 5,000 all about? Remember, it started with some bread. And now he's going to tell them who the real bread is. We'll pick up in verse 22 and all the way through verse 71. So would you pray with me? Father, we want to give honor to your word, and we pray that your word would be just alive to us today. We need the bread from heaven. We need it individually, Lord, that we might be saved, and we need it corporately that we might be instructed and grow. And so, Lord, would you speak into our lives through the marvel of your word. We ask these things in the name of Jesus, the true bread. Amen. Verse 22, and on the following day, so this is a continuation of the story of the feeding of the 5,000. Remember the Sea of Galilee, how the disciples go out afterwards. When the people were standing on the other side of the sea, they saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, the boat's came from Tiberias, and Tiberias is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. So they're on the northern shore in Capernaum, and so about 
six miles away if you go across the sea, and about 13 miles away if you're walking is the city of Tiberias, a Roman city. It's named after Tiberius Caesar. And so other boats came from Tiberias. This was the area that was fished. If you go there today, you'll still find fishermen out there fishing for tilapia. They'll be tossing uh, nets. It's the exact same trip that we make in a boat when we travel to Israel. We go from Tiberias to Nafganasar on the north shore, and then we'll drive around, uh, pick up our buses there, and we'll, we'll go over to Capernaum. And so they're in this place, near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And so you can see how they're tying this a particular event together with the, with the feeding. And when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? In other words, we thought you were alone wandering around in the hills and somehow you ended up in a boat and you came across the sea. When did you get here? Here's the story. And Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but you, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And this is a critical juncture in what Jesus is going to now say. Because there are many that come to church today looking for something equivalent. They're looking maybe for a change in their financial situation. They're looking maybe for a job. They're looking for some type of help. They're looking for something physical when the real thing they need is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that is the picture here. They need the real bread. They didn't need the loaves. That was a meal, and it was wonderful that they received it, but it was providing a backdrop, a picture, if you will, of exactly what Jesus was really trying to communicate to them. And here it is. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, Because God the Father has set his seal upon him. Jesus' miracles were a testifying way for the God of heaven to say, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And then they said to him, What shall we do? Isn't that the strange question that people still ask today? What do I need to do? How can I work for What is it that I can do for God so that God will accept me? We call it works. What can I do, God? How can I please you by doing something for you so that you will accept me? And here's the crazy thing. There's nothing you can do. It's not about what you do. It's never been by the works of the flesh that anyone is saved. It's never been by something you do. It is only by believing that anyone is saved. And so they asked the question that many ask today. And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the word of work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. In other words, he's saying, Believe in me. And therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? 
You see how quickly the, the message is misunderstood. It's like instantaneously they're going, okay, well, we don't get that, but let's move on. When you tell people that by grace you've been saved through faith, when you quote to them Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and you say, it is a gift of God, no one can boast about it, no one gets saved any other way, I'm the way and the truth and life, when you quote to them John 14, 6, which we'll get to, which by the way is another one of the I am statements, when you say that, people immediately turn right around and say, okay, well, what do I have to do? The heart of man is still the same. We want to feel like we can do something to earn God's favor. So what are you going to do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, and he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. It didn't come from Moses. It wasn't because Moses was great. It's not because you need to revere Moses. God from heaven gave it to you miraculously. And he says, verse 33, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Remember what chapter 3 says. For God so loved the world. Not just the disciples. Not a handful of folks on the Sea of Galilee. Not those who initially believed in him. Jesus came that the world through him might be saved. He's the bread from heaven. And then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. So now they're like, well, this must be like, this is really seven grain, non-GMO, super amazing, if you eat it, you'll live forever bread. You, know, you can almost see the wheels turning. It's like, where is this stuff? And they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, Okay, let's cut to the chase here. I am the bread of life. Or, I am is the bread of life. It is I am who stands before you that is this bread, is the inference he's making. He who comes to me, and this is how we know exactly who he was speaking about, not what he was speaking about. He's not talking about some super loaf of bread. It's me. Comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. He goes back to what he's already said previously. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Going, I'm standing right in front of you, I'm doing all these things right in your presence, and you still don't get it. That's mankind right there. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. He's not saying it's some special club that you have to figure out some way to get into. Anyone who will come to him, he will by no means cast out. Paul put it another way. He said, to as many as believed. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of the Father who sent me, 
that all he has given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up on the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. He's making very clear that the bread from heaven came to give man eternal life and he was the bread. You see, people think that's too exclusive, too narrow. And so Jesus begins this series of I Am statements. Now, for those of us who have been around a while, you probably remember when you could actually put up biblical advertising on television and on billboards. And I remember, I was probably 40 years ago or so, you remember Sunbeam Bakery. They used to, every Christmas, they would put up billboards and they said, showing this little girl in prayer, and it said, not by bread alone. And it was actually drawing people's attention to the fact that they were a bread company that's saying, don't miss the message of Christmas. It's not about bread. It's about the true bread. It's about the real bread. It's the bread that came down from heaven. That's why when we began this incredible book that Jesus said we have to look at these things in grace and in truth. We have to understand what Jesus is getting at. Jesus has not given us this unbelievably difficult path to follow so that we might someday be worthy of salvation. He's given us the truth that He alone possesses salvation and He's given us grace and and we receive that by faith and through believing in Him we can be saved and we will be raised up in the last days. This is one of the clearest teachings on the power of the grace of God to bring salvation eternally to those who believe. John's Gospel is filled with with the same message. But here he says, look, I, I am the real bread. Notice the four responses, and we'll see all these as we continue through the remaining verses. And basically you can see how Jesus kind of lost the, the whole crowd almost in the midst of just clarifying why he was there. They're, they're, I get the same question. Are you telling me I have to believe in Jesus to be saved? And I look people right in the eye and says, Yes, you must believe in Jesus to be saved. There's no other way. He is the bread. He is the way and the truth and the life. He's the only name under heaven whereby men must be saved. And in fact, no other world religion actually even teaches a path to salvation. They'll teach a path to reward, but not eternal relationship with the God who created you. And so unique in all of the world's religions is the plan of the gospel of salvation presented in the Bible. And it is that plan that's before us. Jesus hadn't walked around the lake, and the sermon began outdoors, and it has these component parts. You see, you have some of them that are actually seeking the true bread. 
But we're going to see very quickly that there's a whole bunch of other responses to this. People complain about the bread, they fight about the bread, and they actually flee the real bread. I've had people come, well, you know, you don't have any stained glass windows at Calvary Chapel. (laughs) And they confuse religious trappings with real bread. And stained glass is wonderful. I actually love stained glass. We have very short walls in the back of the building. It's just not going to work. Plus, you're 100 feet from being outdoors on any of the walls around the sanctuary. It's not going to work unless we light them from the backside. It's not the same. This is not a for or against any particular way that you might express how you worship the Lord. It's who do you worship? It's who do you worship? It's not how you worship, it's who do you worship? These guys started outside. Some people will say, well, you know, there's children in the sanctuary and there's, there's people doing this and people doing that and there was a guy in shorts. Can I tell you that Jesus' first sermons were all taught outdoors in mixed multitudes of all kinds of people with no amplification, with babies crying and people coughing and people doing all kinds of sitting on rocks. Jesus did church without all the stuff that we normally have. So let's make sure that we don't add something to the gospel by saying we need to do church a certain way. Because that's not found in Scripture. If we're going to cling to the Word of God as a source of truth, then let's make sure we have the real bread in view. I've worshipped the Lord in about every setting you can imagine. I've worshipped Him on boats. I've worshipped Him hiking. I've worshipped Him in parks. I have worshipped Him in the poorest neighborhoods you can possibly imagine on earth. I have worshipped Him in wonderful, beautiful churches. And of course we worship Him here. It's not about how, but who. You need to have the who right. But we, we can take no credit for our worship of the Lord. And if we're really seeking the true bread, then we want the one that gives eternal life, not just fills your belly. Amen? That's the picture here. And so Jesus is going to say, look, I am the I am. He's going to identify who, not what. And as he says what the bread is, the what is a who. It's him. And so we need to keep the main thing the main thing. We worship the risen Savior. We worship the Christ. We worship the true bread. They're still looking, this group is still looking for the bread that Jesus miraculously produced at the feeding of the 5,000. They're going, well, show us that again, and then maybe we'll believe you. Show us the bread loaves. You see, here's the problem. God could do miracles all day long, 
and you still need to believe by faith. You still need to trust him. And without that faith, which is a gift from God, just exactly as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, without that faith, without believing in him, then all you're doing is saying, wow, that's a nice miracle. That won't save you. You can agree that God can do miracles. You can agree that God could raise the dead and still not believe in him. It's the believing that saves. Notice that Jesus doesn't feed them again here. Why? Because that is exactly what they're asking for. And had he done it, he would have played right into their reasoning. Now that they've been going, well, we'll believe as long as. And this is the problem that we still have today. People come looking for experiential understanding instead of looking with the eyes of faith. They keep looking for something to be done to them or for them instead of simply believing. Because if you believe by faith, then even in the storm you can continue to believe. Whether you are abased or abound, exactly as Paul said, you will continue to believe. Whether you have or have not, you can continue to believe in the true bread. That's why these I am's are so important. He's going to, in essence, lay waste to the major things that people hope in. You see, some people hope if they just come to the right shepherd, and I'm talking about a human shepherd. They come to the right field. They stand in the right area or the right place. They go to the right church that the right church can save them. And as we dig into these individually, as we travel through John's Gospel, you'll see how he immediately says, look, you're not saved because you hang out with a specific group of sheep. You're not saved because you understand the truths about the light. You have to let the light shine in your heart and that will transform and change you. So these I am's, where in the Greek now Jesus is actually saying, as it's translated, which we will turn into English, I am, he was saying, ego, eime. Uncaused cause is here. The one who was and is and is to come. He is the living water. He is the light of the world. He is the gate to the sheep. He is the good shepherd. He is all those things because he is God. And we believe in him. But here's what begins to happen. Very simple to see as we take the rest of this. They begin to complain. And the Jews complained about him, verse 41 says, and said to him, because he said... I am the bread which came down for heaven. Well, that's not okay with us. They immediately begin to complain. They're in the synagogue now. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? You see, Nazareth is less than 20 miles away. Didn't start... Aren't you the guy, you've got some brothers and you live up there in that hick town in the hills, don't you? There is no way on this earth you could possibly be God. 
And so they don't even realize that that's not where he was born. Oh, he grew up there. But exactly as we saw on Christmas, he was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread. He was born in the city of bread because he is the true bread. The bread that came from heaven. How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? You're from Nazareth. You can see him. They're, they're, they're like, dude, you're from Nazareth. It's like you've got a Messiah complex or something. They didn't even understand what he was saying. And he's standing there speaking these words to him. And Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. This is a role of faith. It's a role of God's sovereign plan in our lives. And we'll raise him up on the last day. And it is written in the prophets. And they shall be taught by God. And therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The prophet Isaiah spoke these very same words. This is what will happen. In that final age when Messiah is revealed, he will speak the words, they'll believe and come. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he is, that he is from God has seen the Father. They've heard, come to Him. And most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes in me has everlasting life. Notice what it does not say there. He who goes to church. He who comes to this synagogue. He who understands every last thing contained within the Bible. He who can make heads or tails of the sovereign plans of God and the choices that men make somehow meshing together in God's eternal plan. This is what it says. The very simple thing. He who believes in me will have everlasting life, eternal life. And he repeats it, I am the bread of life. In other words, you need to eat of me, and he's going to get to that in a moment. Your fathers ate man in the wilderness. I love this. This is like zero political correctness. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead. They thought that was bread from heaven. And they ate it and croaked. Died. Took their last breath. It did not, didn't I just tell you that you'd have eternal life? So why are they dead? He's causing them to think. He's causing them to reason within themselves. He said, for this is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. So we're talking about a different kind of bread here. I am the living bread which came down from heaven, and if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh. And so they're immediately going, oh no. He wants us to be cannibals which I shall give for life, notice again, to the world. He doesn't just give it to them, he's offering it to everyone. And so they began to complain. You, you see, the manna in that sense only sustained life for a period of time. And Jesus is saying, look, there's more to life than this. People can hear all kinds of things and not have eternal life. 
People can even be taught the truth and not have eternal life. Because eternal life is not simply mental understanding. It's believing. It's resting. It's trusting. It's understanding that God has a plan for mankind and He's offered it to everyone. He offers it today. There may be some here today with us that have not yet received. And maybe you're complaining right now in your heart and your mind. Well, that's too easy. Oh, I praise God that it's so easy a child can believe. I praise God that it's not religious at all. It's faith. I praise God for the simplicity of the gospel. He's not claiming to be exactly like manna. But what he is saying is, look, that bread which you revere, now here's how revered the manna was. There are only three things inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron's rod that budded, the Ten Commandments, and a pot of what is it? That's what it actually means. Manna means what is it? that crazy so inside of the ark of the covenant the grace of god pictured by the mercy seat inside of it is a question what is it it's jesus it's the beauty of the simplicity of the gospel contained within the old testament is a picture of the coming real bread the true bread from heaven now bear in mind this is now taking place in this synagogue, in Capernaum. They're standing on these stones, on that floor, speaking these truths. We know where this is. So much so that when they discovered a couple of the stones that had been carved in there, that it was attributed to the fact that this was Peter's hometown. There's a gigantic edifice built to Peter's mother-in-law underneath a thing that looks like the spaceship, which I will not show you. Because it's ridiculous. But they're inside of a synagogue and they're talking about manna. You see, what is it was a mystery to those in the wilderness, but now it's no longer a mystery. What is it? It's Him, it's Jesus. And so they begin to fight over it the next several verses. And unfortunately, the the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, that Jesus were literally consuming his blood and his body, comes from this passage. And it's not what it intends. It's very clear from the passage that he's speaking spiritually about that which is physical. The whole argument is that this is spiritual and not physical. The whole context of this is that we're not talking about real bread like as in loaves we're talking about the real bread as in the king of kings and lord of lords verse 52 and the jews therefore quarreled and fought among themselves saying how can this man give us his flesh to eat it's like yuck now they knew that that couldn't be done to consume blood was against the law of moses To consume human flesh was against the law of Moses. This can't happen. 
So they actually already knew he couldn't possibly be thinking about that. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. So what is he saying? He couldn't possibly be saying, Here, you know, chew on my finger. He was getting them to think of what they were thinking on. Why are you thinking the way you're thinking? Of course I don't mean eat me literally. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed. And neither of those two things could actually be done ever by any Jew. So that was not what he was trying to say. As the living Father sent me, I live because, the, because of the Father, and so he who feeds on me will live because of me. And this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead, but he who eats this bread will live forever. He's speaking spiritually. He's saying, unless you take in me, Unless you believe on me, unless you realize that I am the Word became flesh, and that is the bread of life. These things he said in the synagogue in Capernaum as he taught. And so they then began to depart. Jesus was having a tough time getting through to them. And therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, now he's not talking about the apostles. Remember, disciples are those who believe. He's talking about those who have flocked around and they're with the apostles who were the twelve. Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Does this upset you? Are you struggling with this? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And then he lets them know exactly what he was getting at. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. He again reinforces how important it is. The real bread is believing in him. The real bread is believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The real bread is understanding that Christ came, that we might have life. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by the Father. And from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter, as he always does, answers for the group. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, 
the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? One of you is a devil. And he spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was he who would betray him, being one of the twelve. They were offended. The word there is scandalized. Scandalizo. Scandalon. It had become a scandal to believe that Jesus actually had the power to save. Jesus is still, still to this day scandalous. When you tell people all you need to do is believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, they look at you like, really? That's because he's the real bread. And he who believes in him, though he shall die, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Here's the cool thing. Peter got it. Lug-headed, crazy, impulsive. And here's a little secret. Imagine, remember who Peter is. This is the guy that will eventually lop off the ear of Malchus. He's all about protecting Jesus, amen? So Peter doesn't even know that Judas is a bad guy. Because I know Peter would have just taken him out. It had just been over. (laughs) That's how big the grace of God is. That the Peters of the world, who were impulsive, often do things that are completely out of order and context, God loves and God saves. Because that's how big His arms of grace are. Amen? If you want to reach out for those arms of grace today. We have a prayer team in our prayer room. Love to pray with you, give you all kinds of materials, help you get started on your way. All you need to do is confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and you will be saved. And we'd love to see you do that before you leave this building today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your people. Lord, who patiently sit and listen to your word. And I pray, God, that you would fill us with the Spirit. Lord, that we would take that real bread and offer it to everyone. And Lord, I want to pray right now, if there's anyone here in the sanctuary, God, do not let them leave this building without receiving the gift of grace. Lord, you the real bread that came down from heaven. Lord, I pray that they would know in their heart that there is truth to that gospel message. It's not about religion, it's about relationship. And so, God, would you save those who are crying out even now by your grace. Bless us as your people. Fill us up. Make us useful in your hands in this new year. Help us to go with the message of grace that people might come to know you. In Jesus' name, amen.